Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. You found us, and thank you so much for listening. And hopefully you'll give us a like and subscribe, too. You know, that would be amazing. My name's Al John Goh. I am a big Marvel, Disney, and Star Wars fan, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, where every week we talk about all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. You can email me, aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to our Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney, pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, another show here. What a, and, and by the way, what what fantastic news! We're on iHeartRadio. I know it's a, it's a wonderful thing. You know the the show is picking up uh, picking up steam, if you will. And uh, I'm glad now that uh, we're well into the new year. We've got things moving. We've got a lot of awesome guests, like today's guest, uh, Kathy Zelinsky. What an amazing, talented. Uh, artist, you know, I can't. I, I'm she really, so, she really is, and I can't wait to get to that interview. Holy yeah, mackerel! I can't. But iHeartRadio, I mean, what does that mean to us? We have more than ten listeners. Don't we, we have more than ten listeners. Yes, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's great when you can download the app. You can listen to us on not only once again, you know, you've got uh, Anchor, you've got uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, you've got Google Podcast. Um, there's so many tune different in. ways tune in of tune course in. yeah there's tune in yeah there's mentioned a, anchor yeah, yeah there's a yeah and of course now uh you've got us on iheart radio so uh, a lot of people listen iheart radio for not only their local radio but uh, radio from all across the united states podcasts of course as well and now uh, to be part of the iheart radio family that's really awesome so uh definitely just uh, give us a subscribe subscribe to us on those multiple podcast platforms <laughs> oh that's it's fantastic news I, I i hope people are uh, enjoying our podcast and it seems like they are they uh, and we're bringing on a lot of interesting guests we've got we've got all kinds of folks booked out into march now which is fantastic and we're they're beating down our door as they say <laughs> i can't wait man this has been such a great project and it's become more than a project it's been just a, an absolute delight you know obviously working with you dave you're a lot of fun and uh well I, you I, too I al john i mean come on i think <laughs> the two of us together we, we really you know we've got a little bit of a a thing going here don't we yeah it's a great thing and for sure and um before we get into this why don't we talk a little bit about Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. You know, Dave, it's interesting. You are a binge watcher. You're a binger. And I, I am. I, I admittedly so. I mean, I, I binge not only on TV shows, but uh, M&Ms occasionally. Oh, my gosh. You know that they just opened <laughs> up the M&M store. They just opened up the M&M store there in, um, in Disney World. Did you know that? 
No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they just opened wow. up to M&M World, and uh, they have a, a place for you to make your own. Speaking of M&Ms, and you didn't know this, unlike Van Halen, who threw out all the brown M&Ms, right? They're mm. getting all the M&Ms there at Disney World, and you can actually make your own uh, customized M&Ms. So, Dave, if you ever wanted to make your own you know, 3D Disneyland uh, M&M, you could do that now. I I would I'm gonna look forward to doing that. Are they next to the Lego store or yeah, um, it's somewhere? They're somewhere down there. I wasn't prepared for, to, to talk about the M M&M store, but yeah, they're they're somewhere around there. So you could get your 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 Lego um, your Lego rocket ship there from Tomorrowland that's on the cover of your book, and then you can isn't get there, your. Isn't there a Mr. Potato Head store? There, build your own Mr. Potato Head. You can do that. It once upon a toy, I believe, there at Disney okay, Springs. There you go. And I actually, I've got my Mr. Potato Head somewhere around here because I had to make my own uh, customized uh, Mr. Potato Head when that was available. That would, you know, who wouldn't want that? I, I miss my old exactly. Mr. Potato Head. But, um, you know, into the whole binging thing, and, and I know that now that uh, WandaVision's out there, you've binged a few episodes. Have you been able to catch yourself up now that there's a couple more that you need to watch? Yeah, I, I actually watched the WandaVision all the way through into, I think, episode four. So they've, they've gone completely into color. Yes. And 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 the the plot is slowly uh, unfolding and uh, I've been really enjoying it. It's really well done. Oh, uh, well, I won't spoil it for you because this is, there's an amazing um, fifth episode. But apparently, you know, Variety magazine kind of nailed it. It says how WandaVision made itself the perfect anti binge watch and it's working for them. And I know that you're a binge fan, but how do you feel about this serialized kind of back to basic uh, weekly st- episodic storytelling that Disney Plus is doing with The Mandalorian and WandaVision? Well, like I said, I'm just banking the episodes as they come out and then I binge watch them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Well, I mean, do you, um, do you feel like this is going to be a something that the streaming services are going to be doing more of? For example, CBS All Access, which I guess now is Paramount Plus, but right. uh, they've done the same thing with some of their Star Trek um, outings, whether it's Picard or Lower Decks. And I feel like this is kind of a way to kind of get the audience hook, line, and sinker in terms of, you know, continuing their subscription services. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I'm imagining that if they, could, you know, dropped a whole season's worth of uh, Mandalorian or a whole season's worth of Star Trek, that there will be some people who will, you know, uh, subscribe to the service for a month, watch those things, and then cancel the service. So by by putting out an episode a week over 10 weeks or so, you're actually hooking the person into your service. And I, 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 look, I get it, you know, and 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 I also don't mind waiting and banking a couple of episodes before I sit down and watch something so I can actually watch two or three episodes together. Uh, that's just the way I like to watch shows, you know? Yeah. So well, I don't mind the binging either. I mean, that's why when the time is right, we, my wife and I will get HBO and we will get Netflix, but we're choosing, you know, Disney is supplying all kinds of great entertainment for us, especially with the kiddos running around. And, uh, you know, so that, that definitely is paying for itself. Suffice it to say, but I I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how these, these efforts by the studios, uh, as they make these decisions about streaming is going to affect things. Cause I think Netflix 
may have to move to that model. I feel like they could have done a little bit and sustained a little bit more buzz with Cobra Kai had they gone to a more uh, serialized release schedule instead of the binging. But I think it also would have upset a lot of people, you know, because people are expecting, I'm now I'm going to take this entire weekend and binge watch the Karate Kid or Cobra Kai. And what do you mean? They're only releasing one or two episodes a week. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. And, um, Look, there are so many streaming services that are, uh, you know, uh, coming online uh, or have been online now uh, for a little while. Uh, I think there's going to be a shakeout at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. There has to be, you know, because I don't believe people are going to subscribe to, you know, uh, seven or eight different uh, services. Uh, They're they're just not going to do it. Absolutely. Well, speaking of streaming, it looks like the Blade uh, movie, um, and that is not streaming, this is actually planning to be uh, released in theaters at some point. But uh, they added, the Marvel Studios added Watchmen writer Stacey Osei Kufor to write the script for Mashahurla uh, Ali's solo Blade movie. And um, I think uh, Ali did an amazing job. Uh, uh, playing in um, Luke Cage on Netflix and to see him uh, take on the character um, Blade, which is one of my favorites from Marvel is going to be awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that partnership to see what uh, Stacy is able to uh, contribute to this new movie. I am just looking forward to seeing movies in the movie theaters again at I, some point, <laughs> hopefully later this year, Al John. I hope and so. I, and, and there, there's got to be a uh, a backlog of some big tentpole movies. I know, aside from the uh, uh, James Bond film, uh, but there's there's a bunch of other Marvel films uh, and, and other pictures that have been stockpiled uh for when the theaters reopen i think it's going to be i i think the i think the last half of this year is going to be pretty fantastic from a movie going standpoint i think it's going to be fantastic from just a human aspect right because hopefully everything because we just heard that disney might be in disneyland maybe in this proposed phase four uh, opening schedule, which hopefully will mean by the end of the year, Disneyland, you know, will be open maybe even earlier, hopefully by this summer. That is if, if the laws and regulations are passed. So I'm keeping my yeah. fingers crossed for you guys, Dave. I know I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, you know, the California legislature, uh, is pushing, uh, a bill through to, uh, allow theme parks in California to reopen, uh, sooner than, uh, the governor, uh, has planned. And, uh, I, I think, I think a place like Disneyland, uh, certainly knows how to, um, uh, keep, keep their, uh, guests safe. Uh, and I think they should be allowed to uh, reopen at a at a reduced capacity, uh, mm-hmm. at least for some period of time. I hope so. I mean, so. That's, that, uh, they, they've had great success down at Disney World. Mm-hmm. They certainly have. Speaking of Disney World, great segue, Dave. Uh, it is Black History Month. We're celebrating the the artistry of a great film. Um, 
because I love Soul, Disney Pixar Soul. It's been out now uh-huh. since uh, the beginning of the year. And Soul is being celebrated at the American Adventure now and uh, celebrating jazz, a uniquely American art form, which I'm a huge fan of. And I love the fact that they're able to showcase some of the great musicians and the instruments of jazz uh, throughout all the different eras uh, and also promote the movie soul at the American adventure. Um, and I, I've seen the walkthrough of this. I think it's really nice. And yes, I do miss the presidential stuff they used to put in there, but I think it's really nice that they're able to celebrate an American art form in jazz and celebrate it there with all those great artifacts. So uh, definitely get a chance to check it out. If you're over there at Epcot. I, I'm imagining they're going to have some live jazz performances. Uh, is is that going to be part of it? I I hope so. At some point, I think they've they've had to trim down a lot of their entertainment offerings over there yeah. at the park uh, as of late because of this pandemic. But I hope they do bring sure. it back. And uh, I think initially, I'm sure that was part of it, uh, having some jazz showcase there. But uh, once again, it's just a great exhibit, and I know that the. Um, you know, the American Adventure, uh, you know, may be down for a little bit because I know they're going to be uh, retooling for the addition of Joe Biden, um, you know, being yeah. in there. But, uh, hey, this is great. So check out the jazz uh, that's being celebrated over there. And once again, it's great that we celebrate those kind of things because I don't think a lot of people realize that jazz is an American art form. That's you know? right. And it so, absolutely is. And, and one, one of great the great, great, really one of the great American art forms. Absolutely. And so much of that, you know, rock and roll, jazz, um, you know, swing, a lot of that stuff is just uniquely American. And no one can take that away from us that, that you know, we, we excel in that. You know, we talk a lot about the art of art and animation here on this show. But a lot of that, too, uh, you know, so much groundbreaking stuff here that we did in America. But uh, music and jazz definitely is part of that. So very proud about that. Absolutely. And if you're talking about art and the art of animation, uh, I mean, that's a talk about a great segue into our guest segment. You read my mind, Dave. <laughs> Let's get into this awesome, awesome interview with Kathy Zielinski, one of your close friends. I love it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al, John, I got to tell you, we, we've got a fantastic guest. Uh, her name is Kathy Zielinski. She's a supervising animator. Uh, she's been in the business for a long, long time. I've known her for years. And I want to welcome Kathy. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's so great. It's so great to have you on. And uh, I, I always like to ask our guests uh, when we have them on, how did you get into the business? How did you get into animation? What was your like precursor to going to Cal Arts? You know, were, were you always a big animation fan? A uh, huge, huge Disney fan. And uh, I was always drawing Disney characters and uh, just wanting to, you know, or just loving those characters. And uh, it, in high school, uh, I got a chance to find out about CalArts. So there's a whole story behind that. But yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, we had Tony Bancroft on a few weeks ago. He said when he was in high school, he and his brother Tom used to draw cartoons all the time to get the girls. Oh. So were you, draw, were you drawing <laughs> cartoons all the time to get the guys? Uh, yeah, I don't think the guys paid. They were more into, interested in surfing than drawing uh, Peter Pan. So, <laughs> but but you found out about Cal Arts, and uh, was was that you sort of had your heart set on? I'm going to go to Cal Arts. Was that like oh. the only school you applied to? Well, interestingly enough, all those years of drawing Disney characters, it never occurred to me to that you could do that as a career. Right. Here I am a senior in high school and my art teacher, Jim James Pickard, uh, offered a, an animation class. And I was actually in a different class and I saw that he was offering that and I said, oh my God, I have to do that. So I got in his class and then he's the one who told me about Cal Arts. Now, at this point, I had already um, applied to colleges. I was planning to go to Long Beach State, and I was going to pursue a medical career because I just thought, well, I can't make any money at arts, so I'll do that. And he, when he told me there was an animation school, I was like, what? You can actually do that? So I found out so late, so I had to quickly throw together a portfolio, and I... Um, sent it to CalArts, so just made it like with a within a day or so of the deadline, um, got rejected, at, but they said, can you just send us something really quick, like tomorrow? <laughs> you know, something, we need more, uh, you know, quick sketches. And I did had no idea what that meant. So I thought, well, I'm drawing as fast as I can. Let me do some more anatomy, <laughs> figure drawing, drawing as fast as I could. I had no idea what any of that meant. And, and then they just said, all right, yeah, you're in. <laughs> so I just got in, you know, at the very last minute. Now, now, who 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 was in your class? Uh, I, I I like to ask folks this because the you know Cal Arts is always a who's who of the animation business. But who was in your class? Well, I would say the most notable was probably Peter Chung and Gary Trousdale. Okay. Uh, then there's uh, let's see, I'm thinking uh, so Mike Show, uh, Matt O'Callaghan. Uh, Matt O'Callaghan, yes. Yeah. So you were in the class with Tony Anselmo and Anselmo. And, and some of those folks. Oh, no, Tony Anselmo was, oh, yeah, I guess he was my year. Of yeah. He's a year ahead. That's right. Yeah. So so you guys were actually a year ahead of me at CalArts. Oh, okay. So yeah, you were. Yeah, because I, I came in the. Group. Yeah, I came in, came in the Chris year Wall. behind you guys. Yeah, yeah, Chris Wall and all of those folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Were there a lot of women in, in your class? Uh, I think it was five the first year. So the five out of five out of the 30 that they let in for each uh, freshman class, right? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, as you went through CalArts, did that diminish? Uh, yes. I think it, we were down to three. Really? Uh, oh, June Fujimoto was also. Oh, yeah. June's great. Yeah. So that's... June and I became really great friends. Um, wow. But yes, so I think there was just me, um, Daphne Maeda, who um, married Mark Dindle. Uh -huh. um, she was the other woman. And to, oh, Sandy Borgmeyer. Um, oh, gosh, I remember that class. name. Yeah. And she stuck it out. Uh, I think I think she only stayed one year because she was like, I have to work. So she mm. got out and she got in the industry 
right after first year. But yeah, probably about three of us in the second year. Wow. And I, I take it, though, that, uh, you know, at CalArts, uh, there, there were a lot of folks that never made it to graduation. They got plucked out for jobs. Um, that's true. Um, so like in my sophomore year, I was part of a very huge group of people that mm-hmm. got plucked out of CalArts. I think there was maybe about 10 of us. Mm. And um, so it was kind of neat going over as a big group of people. In fact, they actually filmed us on our first few days of being there uh, because they were kind of doing a news thing item on like, oh, the new generation of animators, although there had been already several (laughs) before us coming in, but uh, I don't know why they picked our particular group, but, but they actually filmed us walking around a lot and um, they did like, you know, some news programming on that. So it might have been, it might have been because it was right after uh, the exodus of the Don Bluth group. Yeah, I think they were maybe, yeah, maybe about a year or two before us. So that may yeah. be why. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So you, you got hired at Disney and your first picture that you're working on is uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, right? Uh, yes. But, and my you, first... but you did training though, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was uh, training with Eric Larson for mm-hmm. about two to three months. And that was pretty fabulous being in the office next to him Um, and uh, working on little tests. Like I animated Mr. Toad running around. And so, yeah, it was, he, he was totally there, you know, the whole time and you could just bring your test in and have him give him, give you um, his advice on what you could make better. What was he like for you? Oh, such a sweet guy, real gentle, um, very caring. He really wanted to make you better. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, he was just, just a great mentor for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what we've heard from so many, so many folks. Yeah. Very lucky to have had him. So once you went through the training program with him, what was the next step for you? Well, um, so the very first thing that I did, believe it or not, was pixie dust for oh. Epcot. <laughs> this okay. is before Epcot. Oh, nice. You probably worked on that. Wow. Too. Wow. If you, if you can survive doing pixie dust, <laughs> uh, you can pretty much survive doing anything. Yeah. But I mean, that was just like a week or two, you know, they had me in between pixie dust. Um, but then, yeah. So um, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah. was definitely the first thing I got to animate a few things, but I mostly kind of followed up just doing cleanup in betweens, but I did animate Daisy duck batting her eyelashes. So that's probably the very first thing that I did. And and, and who gave that to you? Because typically it's a, it was up to an animator to say, Hey, here's, here's a little piece of animation to do. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't remember who gave that. <laughs> and well, you know, it's, it's, it, it it's so many years. Back. I mean, it's 40 years ago, right? Yeah, and, actually I've been in yeah. the business 40 years this year. Wow, that's amazing. I started amazing. when I was 20 years old. Wow. So yeah, that, that's hard for me to believe because my daughters are older than that now. And there was just still in college at 20. And 
I, I'm still amazed that I started that young. But but you 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 did get a chance to do a little animation on uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, and then what happened when you you, you moved uh, from there on to what picture? Uh, Black Cauldron. Black Cauldron. I, I I love Black Cauldron, by the way, and 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 Al John knows this because for me it was my first picture. You know, I got hired in in uh, while it was in the middle of production. Uh, so I, it has a, it has a warm spot in my heart. Um, uh, even though it's, you know, not considered to be the greatest Disney film, it's still not a bad movie. I don't think, but you, what were you doing on Black Cauldron? So Black Cauldron, um, an interesting thing happened at that time. So I had won a student Academy award for my film from CalArts. Okay. Fantastic. They ended up giving me animation to do right away. So I animated the witches of, um, or when, or do an or gotch. Right. I hope I got the, the, the three witches, three witches. So uh, I did, you know, and I didn't animate the whole time. I did go back and forth, but they gave me some opportunities early on, um, which was pretty, um, pretty difficult I would say because I, I didn't train, I never trained under another animator the whole time I was there. I would really? just pick up in betweens from different animators. So I was kind of jealous actually of several of my classmates that went over at the same time. They got put with a, a, a more experienced animator. They learned under them. I never did that. I just, because that winning that student Academy award, I think they just assumed I was better than I was at that time. And, and so it was kind of difficult for me, to be honest, uh, those scenes that I animated the witches, because I mean, I really, you know, it was student level yeah, to be given such a, you know, a difficult task. And so, but I, you know, I did animate, I'm guessing maybe 10 or 12 scenes, not a ton. Um, and, uh, so I would say my, claim to fame on that that show was the frog stuck in the witch's cleavage <laughs> <laughs> that's always but, like the one that sticks out of my mind but i mean i did more than that i mean the yeah but it's the it, it's the comedy it's the comedy relief that sticks with you right oh yeah 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 and especially the description so ted ted berman one of the directors mm-hmm trying, he's probably didn't work with a lot of women animators. And so here's a very odd scene. So you've got a close up of this witch's breasts with a frog stuck in it, trying to get out. And so him trying to describe to me, well, Kathy, uh, you just animate the jugs moving around. (laughs) And I was like, jugs. So uh, I was like, okay, all right, I got it. But uh, yeah, it was sort of an awkward. And, and and at that time, Ted Berman was, you know, he, he I think he was, he had to have been in his, in his early seventies at, at the very oh, least, absolutely. maybe even older. I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah. he was, he was really in the twilight of his career. Uh, he had been at the studio for decades and, sure. and, and this really was his last 
project uh, at the studio uh, was yeah. directing on the Black Cauldron. Right. And, uh, and so here he is, this old guy talking to this young girl who's in her early 20s, yeah. this young woman. And, and, and oh, that must have been hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, great memory. <laughs> just wow. the description, his embarrassment, my embarrassment, and just like, oh, boy, we have to get through this. And, and did he and did he um, uh, give you notes on your initial animation? Did you show him roughs? What was the process for that scene? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, like, I would draw a rough pass. And, and of course, in those days, everything was sent out on film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was no video. There was free, even like Lion Land. Yeah. Some down shooter. So they would send out the tests, and then you'd be sitting with the director with a moviola watching a loop of it. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, you know, several passes. And I'm sure he was like, let's get through the scene as quickly as possible. (laughs) Approved. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Hey Kathy, before so, you before you move on, can you can you tell our audience what a moviola is? Okay, so a moviola is um, like a machine where they would um, splice your scene, so it was a loop. So they could play, um, and it was a pretty big machine. I mean, it. We used to call them the green dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Green dinosaurs. They were they were they were these big devices on uh, on wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they, they stood, uh, stood about, um, uh, I, I would say waist or chest high and yeah. they had a, they had a little, uh, screen on them. So, so that when the film went through, you would actually see the, uh, uh, the scene projected onto a piece of, uh, you know, um, uh, milky, uh, glass, mm-hmm. you know, white glass, uh, projected from behind, right, Kathy? Yeah, yeah. yeah Actually, there's a picture of me with Eric Larson and Bill Frake standing next to one of those. Oh, I think uh, Matt O'Callaghan might have been in the picture too. But that's awesome. uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're standing in a moviola. Oh my that's, gosh, that, that's yeah. amazing. Like, of course, people today have no idea that's how, you know, the dailies, if you will, quote unquote, the dailies yeah. were shot, but that's just an amazing piece of uh, yeah. film history. Yeah, and we're so spoiled today. And, you know, just thinking about how many times we'll, you know, refine our scenes before even a director or supervisor will see it. But in those days, it was kind of like, well, I'm flipping the scene. And <laughs> yeah, you did use that on <laughs> Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah, you, you did know. use that on Kung Fu Panda. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah, you, you said something, uh, Ted wasn't used to working with, uh, a, a, you know, a female animator, but, um, uh, what, what was that like for you? And when you got into the studio, how many women animators were there at the studio? Oh, I'm trying to think, uh, God, were there any, I mean, there had been, yeah, I mean there were there very left. Yeah. So when like hi yeah, Heidi Goodell and people like that had left with um yeah, Lorna with, uh, yeah, Lorna Cook, uh Lorna Pomeroy Cook, uh or Lorna uh, Cook Pomeroy, the, yeah. The blur was already gone. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't think I I'm Yeah, because most of the women were either in cleanup. Or uh, there were the all the women that were working in ink and paint and scene planning, and paint, and final check, and all of that. Those departments, yeah. 
but but actual uh, female women animators. Right. I don't think there were any at the time. You were you you you, you, you were I, pretty you were pretty much it. I think. Uh yeah. Early on. Yeah. yeah early on, probably. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, there were a few other women though uh, that came in with my group, but I don't. I don't recall if they like Barbara DeRosa and uh, right, right. Ford, they both started at the same time I did. Yeah, yeah. So they could bring in three of us. Uh, yeah, Barbara DeRosa, I think, was doing some animation, wasn't she? She might have. She might have gotten, you know, maybe with her supervising. Yeah. That was, she was under the wing of, she might have gotten a scene or two and maybe Jill too, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah so I, but I, don't know if they ever made it to the status of animator, why they were there. Yeah. Yeah. That, why do you think that is? I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, why, why there aren't more women animators. Uh, uh, there are now sure. today, today there yeah. are more, but, yeah. but, but 30, 40 years ago, there weren't as many. Well, I mean, yeah. And there's certainly, there were a lot of women that were interested in animation. So I don't know if it was, um, they were not, given the opportunities like with older uh generations you know Walt's day and everything uh and of course when I came in Walt was no longer there but I think I think because the newer generations they were starting to open up to the idea of women doing animation more uh and there weren't as many of us that really wanted to do that particular job because I, I don't know or maybe they did want it I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I did get the opportunity though, you know, based yeah, I, you, on you, you, film. You, you, so they did seem to not discriminate against trying me. Sure. Why so? And, and from, from Black Cauldron, you went on to the great mouse detective. Yes. And there's where I felt like I really got my first great opportunity. So John Musker and Ron Clements gave me fidget the bat to animate. And so I don't think I, I don't remember what my credit was. Um, I wasn't really a supervisor, but I, I did almost all the key animation of him. Character, character character animation. Yeah. So um, I did quite a bit. So it was almost kind of like I was a lead animator. I'm not sure what my credit might've been just an animator credit, but John and Ron gave me great opportunities. That was my first time working with them. And, um, I had so much fun on that film. Yeah. And, and for, for our listeners, uh, the film was originally titled Basil of Baker street. Right. I still have a mug. I do. I, I have my coffee too. mug too. Yes, I do. <laughs> Look at my keys. I know. Baker street. But, um, but around that time, uh, a film, I think from Spielberg called young Sherlock Holmes had come out and it didn't do as well at the box office. Right. And, and so, so Jeffrey wanted to change, uh, the name of the film, uh, right. Uh, so that it wasn't overtly uh, Sherlock Holmes related. 
Right. Uh, and, and, and if you recall, uh, they, somebody at the studio circulated a bogus memo changing the names of all of the classic Disney animated films. So, yes. Snow, oh, so, so they went from Basil of Baker Street to the Great Mouse Detective and, uh, and they had listed Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs would now be the young girl and seven little men and things like that, right? My favorite was, uh, the black cauldron being changed to the evil bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I just coincidentally happened to see Peter Schneider seeing that memo tacked up on one of the boards <laughs> yes. and looking at it and ripping it off of the. Yeah, he, 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 he was just. Down. He was starting. To, he was just starting to dip his toe into the world of Walt Disney Animation Studios yeah. and and the quirkiness of the whole thing. I think my favorite on the list was the Aristocats. Was now going to be called the Aristocats. They never. Did oh yes. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. But um, yeah, Great Mouse Attack was, was was an interesting film because. That really was the first film that was a go under the new management regime. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg had come in as the head of the Walt Disney Studios and uh, Great Mouse Detective was the, the, the first picture uh, uh, under, uh, under his helm. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and then so from there, you, you did something. I, I was a little taken back because after Great Mouse Detective, I thought you went right on to Oliver and Company, but there you have a credit for something called the Night of the Demons title sequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it celebrated its 30th uh, anniversary a couple of years ago. What and was yeah. that? Was that was that a Disney project? No, 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 not at all. I uh, it was a got freelance gig. Up and uh, they were looking for an animator to create a title sequence. Oh. And, um, so, yeah, my husband and I, my husband um, is effects animator, uh, compositor. So the two of us actually kind of worked together as a team to do that. And uh, so, yeah, it was just uh, hand animated um, and a lot of camera, um, like compositing tricks and things like that to sure. make characters fly and um, uh, fly around the screen and... Um, so yeah, it was kind of a neat thing to be part of, and it became this cult classic too. So like a, a freelance gig in between projects. Um, well, I think or I overlapping at the same time. Yeah, it was overlapping yeah, because I was yeah. working at home on it while um, while I was working on uh, Oliver and Company. Wow, and Oliver and Company. Um, you what, what characters did you work on on Oliver and I Company? Mainly, Worked on Georgette the Poodle under mm -hmm. Glenn Keane. So that's the only time I worked under Glenn. Um, so you were part of his, he was like the supervising animator. Yeah, you were part of his unit. So I worked on the uh, Georgette song mainly. Oh, with nice. Him. And uh, so I did pretty much the opening of that song. So she's in the curlers and, uh, you know, her first bit of singing. And then she walks down the long staircase and then strikes her pose, and then it, then it goes. So that was my section that I did, nice. and uh, and then I also animated Fagin and Dodger. I did you know other characters, but that was probably the most uh, um, biggest section that I worked on. Yeah. 
Did, was it during that time where they were they starting to go towards like units where animators would be working under a supervising animator and you'd kind of be dealing with a particular character for most of the picture? Because I know I know sometimes uh, animators uh, were given scenes of various characters, um, uh, whatever was needed to get done. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. Um, they wanted you to specialize so you could get really good at drawing that character, learn it. And the hope is, you know, bring more to the character right. specialized in it. So yeah, that's why, yeah, I was on, um, yeah, because great mouse detective. Well, like I said, I animated fidget, so I really wasn't under a team, Yeah. but, but yeah, on that picture. So I guess, yeah, that's probably my first, being under a team of animators, uh, under a supervising animator. And, uh, and then, uh, you went on to, you did work on, on Fern Gully. Uh, and, and, you know, this is interesting. I, I think our listeners would be fascinated by this. You know, back in those days, there was tons of animation going on in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there were TV shows, there were other people getting features going like the Croyers who did, uh, Fern Gully, the last, uh, the last rainforest, uh, and, um, uh, Don Bluth was doing the American tale movies and things like that. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and there were also all of those serial commercials, which, sure. which, which I did a lot of work on, yeah. uh, <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Uh, but, but that was, that was sort of the, uh, j- just part of the business. You, you had a full-time gig at Disney, but you were doing freelance commercials on the weekends yeah. or working on other yeah. projects as you went along. Uh, was that your sort of experience? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the night of the demons title sequence while I was working on another show. And and Fern Fern Gully? Fern Gully. uh, No, Fern Gully actually left the studio. Oh, did you really? I I didn't realize you left. I did. I left for a very brief period of time. It was after Rescuers Down Under, um, Oh, you know, I completely skipped over Rescuers Down Under and Little Mermaid. Holy mackerel. I'm sitting here looking at your list of credits and it's <laughs> oh. like I, I, I lost sight of this. But but you you obviously worked on The Little Mermaid, but you were a supervising animator on Rescuers Down Under. Yes. So for Frank, this frilled neck lizard. Which I absolutely love that character, Frank. You know, in fact, I, I've said this before, Al John, yep, yep. Uh, to other guests. I think Disney has not done enough with some of these secondary characters, oh, right? Uh, that are in in these feature films. You know, there, there's some really great characters, and Frank is one of them. Frank the Lizard, he was fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah, he was he was so much fun to work on, and I like the whole idea that he had that frill. Yeah, uh, um, Nick. Uh, and um, it gave a lot of opportunities for business. Yeah. So, you know, he moves his head through the chain link and gets stuck because the thing opened up like an umbrella. Um, it showed his emotion with being sad or happy. I mean, so it gave the, gave me a lot to play with. It was a, it gave the character a lot more character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was so fun. You know, he's such a cute little guy running around and, and they're, they're neat just to study, you know, the real lizards and how they move around. And, and so of course, you know, Adam, 
adding more beyond that, you know, an animated feel to it. Yeah. What did you do on Little Mermaid? What were you working on? Little Mermaid, um, I worked under Ruben Aquino um, doing Ursula. So I primarily, I think I only did Ursula. I did a couple scenes of Ariel when she was with Ursula, but I did the conjuring up of the, um, at the end of the Ursula song, the conjuring up the spell, taking her voice. I did almost all of that. Wow. Um, And then I just, Oh no, I did some other earlier scenes too. Like, uh, I think John Musker really likes the scene, uh, life's full of tough choices, isn't it? So he loved the way Pat Carroll had, um, voiced that, that scene. I did do some other acting scenes in there. Oh, when she turns upside down and arrows on the rock. And she was a great character because you could, again, there was so much to play with her being an octopus and Mm -hmm. you don't have to be upright like a human, you know, you could play with her positioning and uh, she'd swim around and you didn't have to be just like, a normal human character being upright all the time. She was very fluid and pliable. Yes, exactly. And, um, and I love octopuses. So <laughs> it was, it was fun to work with. And just those tentacles really added to her character and made her feel creepy. I thought, but yeah, lots of stuff that, and the one scene that I'm really proud of is the transformation of Vanessa back into Ursula. So okay. I had, was really taken with the thing, Rob Bottin's like exploding, you know, creature coming out of another shape. And so I thought about that when I was animating that scene. So, you know, just her body parts bursting through the wedding dress. And I just really had that, you know, the thing in mind when I was animating. Very that. Was American so Werewolf in London style. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. At that time, you know, those films, I just love that transformation stuff. Yeah. Was, was that was that sort of your first uh, uh, villain uh, character? Well, yeah, I guess so, because like Fidget was more of a sidekick. He wasn't. Yeah, he, he was like comedy relief, right? <laughs> Fidget. I did animate a few scenes of Radigan, but really it was mostly Fidget. So, yeah, I would say that was probably my first chance to do a real true villain. And you really sort of like you've gravitated to doing sort of the the villainous type characters, is that or the darker characters? Yes, I mean, is um, that, you like doing that, right? I did, and I mean, my film that I did at Cal Arts that won the Student Academy Award had a villain in it. It was a spinach. Uh, basically, it was the story was about a kid who didn't want to eat a spinach because it was a monster. So. The, shit, the character of the spinach was metamorphosizing into different shapes and he had like sharp teeth. So I think um, because of that film, people kind of like John Musker, you know, and probably other directors went, oh, she has a bet toward liking that kind of thing. Right. So I kind of got typecast into it, which was perfect because I love villains. So um, it was a great opportunity for me. And, and going from uh, from Ursula then to Frank, Frank's not really a villain, but it, you know, he, so, yeah. So he's comedy guess, comedy relief, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I I always love characters that um, are villainous or comedic. I do best with those rather than the straight heroine character. I don't do as well with those yeah. characters. 
Um, but yeah, and I think maybe because they're a little bit more active, a little bit more extravagant, you can do broader poses with those type of characters. So I think that's why I gravitate, but evil, I just love evil. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's on my t-shirt. Um, so a- after Frank, we, you went on, you did, you left the studio briefly, you did Fern Gully. Uh, what, yes. what kind of a character was the Hexus character? So Hexus was a, I guess like a pollution kind of monster, you might say. So, so he, a villain. A villain, yeah. yeah. So he was, um, he, he um, was released out of this tree that had been, I guess, uh, because of the, the guys that were chopping down the trees, they released, uh, they chopped, they, you know, chopped the tree that he was imprisoned in, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so he came out and, um, you know, uh, so my, my part of that, you know, the quarters were really great. And um, saying, Kathy, just create some kind of uh, designs for this character. So I just went to it and just thinking of pollution, smoke and oil and fire and things like that. So it was really a fun um, challenge to create a character that was half effects, half character. And so I worked closely with um, some of the effects guys on that. on that show. And so I would, in my animation, I would draw kind of like a skeleton and some indications of tar and fire. And then of course they would take it after the, um, the basic uh, body parts were animated sure. and um, then they would add the other, you know, add effects to it that would yeah. look great. And then uh, when you finished that character, you came back to Disney? Yes. So um, on, a, on Aladdin, you re, you rejoined John and Ron. Yes, exactly. So um, and, and also just to back up a little bit, the reason why I had left is because I wanted to work on my own film, which I never finished. But it was like a um, a puppet, a dark puppet themed film. Okay. <laughs> I built all these sets and then worked on Ferngully at the same time. So then a year, you know, about a year had passed. And then I rejoined, like you said, um, so Aladdin. And um, I was given the beggar, Jafar Beggar, to do. At the beginning of the film, right? Where, uh, yeah. he's, where he's coaxing Aladdin to go into the... Uh, uh, cave of uh, Wonders. Yeah, the, the Cave of Wonders, yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that was great. So I did designs on him and uh, and, you know got to do the big, probably most of him, especially in the Cave of Wonders sequence, I did most of the animation. And, and, and also Jafar as the snake as well, right? Correct. Yeah, so there yeah. again, um, I was given uh, the opportunity to design the snake, Jafar snake, and Jafar genie. So I designed those two. And, um, you know, because there's not a ton of footage, um, <clears throat> I got a chance to animate, you know, a lot of it. Yeah. And, but, and how did you like doing character design? I mean, was that something that you really had a, a an affinity for or well, something? I did that... enjoy doing it. You know, there's, um, you know, it's, just, it's so different from just being an animator. And plus you could put into it what kind of um, 
shapes you think would be fun to put together. So, and then of course, you know how to draw them really well <laughs> if you designed it. Um, but yeah, no, that I thought that was really fun. And um, so, yeah, I've gotten a chance over the years to, to be a part of that. And, and from, uh, from Aladdin, I, I, you have any, um, any sort of favorite stories about Aladdin at all? Um, well, I uh, see. I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, it was just such a fun film. Everybody was just so excited about it. Um, but I would say, um, you know, just the scenes that I got to do were really fun. And again, I got to do some fun transformation scenes. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I got to do that one of Ursula. So I got to do the transformation of Jafar into the snake. And, uh, the snake into the genie, Jafar right. genie. So yeah. those were really, you know, satisfying to, you know, again, do something kind of creepy like that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh yeah. And then of course I was pregnant during Aladdin. Huh. And so, uh, was, was that your first, child, I was going to say your first child. Okay. My first child. Yeah. I was pregnant during Aladdin and it was my last day and I was about three weeks before my due, my due date and my water broke. At the studio? At the studio. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, at that time we were doing 70 hour weeks. Yes. And us dinner. And I had just gotten my tray of food and I walked to my office and boom, my water broke. Oh my and I was God. like, oh my God. And I was so unprepared to be a mom, I hadn't done any Lamaze classes because I was working so much. I hadn't prepared at all. I didn't even have a crib. (laughs) (laughs) No clothes, nothing, because I didn't have time. So here I am doing these 70 hour weeks and, uh, you know, finishing, trying to finish my last scene. And I was in such denial, I didn't even go leave my desk. (laughs) I just went back to my desk and people were like, aren't you supposed to go to the hospital? I'm like, no, I got to finish the scene. And so, you know, I finished my scene and people were really panicky. Like, you got to get out of here. You're supposed to go to the hospital. Oh my gosh. And uh, so I didn't, it, you know, Dave Prexma then took me to uh, home. He drove me home because I couldn't drive. I'm in labor. And then my husband took me to the hospital. Um, but which, it, ho- uh, which hospital was it St. Joe's? Uh, no, it was all the way in Torrance. So what? on a Friday evening, because I, I'm from Torrance, California, okay. and I just kept my same doctor down there. Why? That was crazy. But yeah, so we had to get through rush hour traffic oh my. and get down an hour south to Torrance <laughs> to wow. where my hospital was. But yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was like my last day on Aladdin. I, you know, broke my water. And when did you give birth? The next day? Or I that night, returned. that was. But no, you. But you broke water. You you broke water, oh. and and then left the studio to go to the hospital. Was yeah. your was your kid born that night or yeah. the next day? Yeah. That, that evening. That evening, like a couple <laughs> hours later. Wow. Yeah. Holy so mackerel! It was like, and so I was in the hospital, you know, for a couple of days, and my mom had to go. My mom, my sister had to go find, you know, diapers get diapers, get the equipment that I needed. I remember my daughter slept in a basket that we found 
because <laughs> we didn't know anything. It was just, it was craziness. But awesome. yeah, so wow. that, it, yeah, helped my crescendo ending on Aladdin happened. So yeah, <laughs> I will never, I will never, I will never watch Aladdin the same way again. Cause that's all, that's yeah. one, that's one of my favorite yeah. Disney movies of all time. So I'm happy that you're here to talk about the experience, but now Dave, next time she comes back on the show, you can add superhero to the list of uh, things that she is. So Kathy, <laughs> exactly. you're, you're our favorite hero now. That's all. That's amazing. <laughs> but, that but hold amazing. on a second. What scene were you working on Kathy? Do you remember? Oh, I, I think it was, it had to been like the snake or the, the, um, Jafar genie. It was one. Okay. Of so, so there you go, Al John, the next time you watch Aladdin and you see the snake or the, uh, Jafar genie, uh, you'll be thinking now of Kathy breaking her water. Exactly. Yeah. Itty bitty <laughs> living space. And that's the baby. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> lots, of, lots of emotion into those scenes i might add i can tell <laughs> I, can, I can imagine That's oh, how, how, how long how long were you gone for after after you gave birth to your daughter you were gone uh, and when did you come back so i was only gone like three months or four months okay and then you came back and, and you I were working on, on pocahontas right briefly now, yeah. were you one of the folks that was trying to avoid Lion King? Uh, yes, because there really was there there was a there was a lot of folks that didn't want to go on to Lion King, yeah. as I recall, um, uh, because the, pro the the picture was having some problems early on, like a lot of the films do. I mean, sure. but that one in particular was having a lot of story issues. And I remember seeing the artwork for Pocahontas. And at that time, people were just blown away by the um, previs for the show. Right. Yeah. And I remember going up to Eric and my begging to be on their film because I just thought, wow, this film looks amazing. It looks like yeah. it's going to be such a cool film. Well, my, Mike Giamma was the art director and was doing yeah. some pretty spectacular stuff. And they were being inspired by Lion Decker, the uh, illustrator from the yes. 1920s. And right. Uh, it really had a distinct look to it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of the main reason why I was sort of, I mean, they offered me a great character on, uh, I was supposed to do Rafiki originally. Uh -huh. I stayed on Lion King, but I just thought, wow, you know, this, the artwork just looks so beautiful in Pocahontas. I really wanted to go on to that. Yeah. And, and you did character design on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I worked on a, character that two characters that ended up getting cut out of the film they were the the fops they called them but because of story issues they had too many characters that were comedy relief and so they wanted to simplify things so the business that was given to those characters they kind of divvied up between wiggums and the dog mm -hmm. so it, it it was a good choice because you know it just it was just too spread out it needed to be simplified and I, but I did animate maybe about three or four scenes of them um, before it, the production came to a screeching halt and they said, we got to fix the story. Right. Everybody, you're just on hiatus. And I remember I was just sitting in the trailer um, <laughs> because they, had a, they didn't have enough room for everybody in the building. So I was in a trailer and uh, just waiting, not doing everything, anything day after day. And I had seen some of the uh, artwork for Hunchback. Mm -hmm. And of course, my evil side was like, 
oh man, look at that film. <laughs> and I was like, and I got to talking with Gary Trousdale and I was like, hey, do you need any help on that? Because I'm just sitting in the trailer. And he was like, yeah, you know, come on over. And so Pocahontas folks were like a little reluctant, but to let me go. But I, I had already been sitting around for months at that point. Right. And that was just a dream come true, that project for me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry that Pocahontas had so many troubles, but it ended up working out. Yeah, yeah. well, you, you won. That's the experience I had there. You went on to to be the supervising animator of Frollo. Correct. Uh, yeah. the, the, the real villain of the movie. Yeah. And. The creepy villain. Talk about dark. The creepy movie. villain. Yeah. <laughs> Ultra creepy. Oh, yeah. so awesome. Yeah, I mean, at first, when, when I first started, it just had me doing character designs. I actually did a lot of gargoyle designs before that. So they had actually picked one of my um, uh, concept designs as a springboard for what ultimately became the, you know, the three gargoyle characters. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of neat. I didn't get credit for that, but, um, but Lisa Keene had painted up that three, the three of them together as, you know, part of the biz dev thing. So that was kind of neat. I feel like, oh, you know, that was a little something that I added, even though I didn't work on those characters after. But then, and then, um, you know, I just started coming up with tons of designs for Frollo um, because James Baxter was set to do Hunchback. So, uh, and Kirk and Gary were so great to work with on that film. Mm -hmm. And so I did you know, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 character designs. <clears throat> and ultimately, um, you know, came up with um, a nice design for the face um, based on, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, Captain Hook, the voice of Captain Hook uh, in Disney's Captain Hook. Uh, anyway, It'll come to me. Oh, uh, um, in, in the live the live action Captain Hook. No, no, no. Disney's no. Captain Hook. Oh, oh, uh, the uh, the Peter Pan. Yeah, Peter Pan. The Peter uh, Pan. Okay. Uh, anyway, gosh, five thousand fingers of Doctor T. That um, actor. Anyway, he did the voice of Captain Hook as well. Uh, anyway, he um, he sort of was the one I was kind of inspired. Frollo kind of came from his look. Mm -hmm. And then Gene Gilmore pretty much came up with the costume design. So I can't really take credit for the costume, but I came up with the look of his face. And uh, Sue Nichols at the time was doing a lot of great design. She probably, mm -hmm. probably the two of them probably worked together, worked out that design of the costume. So I, yeah. I did the face and they did the costuming on that character. Yeah, Sue Nichols, we, we lost her this past year. Yes. Uh, what a great talent she yeah, was. Yeah, she was an amazing talent. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and I did many tests. Originally, they wanted to have uh, Anthony Hopkins do, do the, the voice. voice. Yeah. So I did do, uh, I picked a Silence of the Lambs um, uh, dialogue reading and did a test with that. But then Anthony Hopkins, I think, didn't want to do it, maybe. And... Um, so yeah, so then they found Tony Jay, and he mm -hmm. has a great voice. So yeah, yeah, contest with him, and so yeah, then I was made the supervisor for Frollo. Were you were you there for a lot of the recording sessions with the actor? I was, and I got to be there during Hellfire. 
Really? Which was awesome. And it was so incredible to watch him sing that song. And he was kind of very uh, intense about it. I mean, I, because it has such powerful singing in it and he was pretty nervous about it. You could tell he was pretty nervous. In fact, actually there was another voice actor who had just recorded before he went on. He asked that guy to stay. So me and that guy were sitting next to each other, watching Tony J record that. And when, I mean, my, my hair was just on end. And I mean, I was just intense watching him. Like, is he going to make it through? You know, it's like, it's so crazy. (laughs) So after he was done recording, uh, he came into the booth and I remember I was talking with Kurt and um, Kirk and uh, he came over and, and we started talking and, uh, and Don Hahn was there too. And uh, Tony J had asked me, so did you learn anything from watching me record Hellfire? And I said, oh yeah, I never want to be a singer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. But he did a great job. But I just, yeah. And so several of the other recordings I got to watch too. But but as a supervising animator, watching the uh, the voice actor for your character, are you studying them and and their mannerisms and and, and picking up uh, information uh, for ultimately to to use in the acting of the scenes when you oh, animate sure. the scene? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and they would often record um, the actor doing the recording session. So sometimes you would get some ideas like just the way the facial movements happen in sync with the dialogue. Um, So you could gain a lot of inspiration. Um, You know, like an actor might always like raise a certain eyebrow when he's, he or she is doing, you know, and so you would pick up on certain mannerisms that the actor might put into it. Would, would you would you be doing sketches while you're there or were they videotaping? Uh, they videotaped and I Yeah, so you'd have that as reference, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I didn't I didn't want to be distracted with drawing sure. at the same time. I wanted to just really watch the performance and just focus on that. And then mm-hmm. afterwards then I could do sketches if I wanted to, you know, watching the video recording. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So uh, with Hunchback, you, at the end of Hunchback, you decided to leave the studio again. Yeah. So. um, How did that all come about? Tell us the, tell us the, the behind the scenes of all of that. Okay. Well, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg had left and he formed DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and Geffen. And so they were looking to kind of, grab a few top people. And so I was kind of in the right place at the right time. I just finished Hunchback and um, he had already gotten James Baxter. I think he tried to get Tony Fuccelli, but Tony did not want to go. He wanted to go into Iron Giant. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was another film that I did. That was I almost went with Brad Bird as well. You know, I was trying to decide right. between Brad Bird and um, and DreamWorks or staying at Disney. So I had a lot of options at that time. Sure. And so Tony decided to go with Iron Giant. So Jeffrey was still looking for another person. So then um, he started asking me if I wanted to go to DreamWorks. So uh, 
basically he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And which I just is, thought, you know, I got Which is what Jeffrey did Je during yeah. that period. Jeffrey made a lot of offers that people could not refuse. Yeah. And it was a really great offer. And um, so it was, you know, it was hard leaving Disney, you know, because it's like I had been there for a long time at that point. Sure like 15 years or something. And so, but I, you know, I just thought, you know, I should take the money because it may not be here, but Disney made a good, good offer too, but Jeffries was a little bit, he beat it. So that's why yeah. I'm going to DreamWorks. And, and you, you stayed there for quite a while. I was at DreamWorks for about 17 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and, you know, worked on all their 2d films and 3D films. And then a lot of their 3D ended up with um, The Crudes was the last film I worked on for them. Which um, Chris Saunders was one of the, the directors on, am I correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Was he the only director? Or was the, was uh, no, part? Dubois. Uh, oh, it, it was both. It, it was uh, it was Dean and Chris, right? That yes, directed right. that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and they had gone through several sets of directors on that film, Um Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, never mind, a uh, different film. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, so yeah, those two worked on that film for the yeah. director. And, and how was your experience at, at, at DreamWorks compared to working at Disney? Um, not as satisfying. Uh, Why? Why? Because, um, well, the 2D films were not the kind of films that I liked making. You know, they were more realistic. They really Jeffrey wanted it real. So for the 2D period, there was no Ursula type characters or, you know, uh, broad villains. Mm. Um, so for me, I mean, I did okay. I mean, I liked Spirit. Um, I enjoyed that because I did like drawing horses, but I didn't really have fun, to be honest, on the rest of the 2D films. I just... Um, you know, it was okay. It was a learning experience. I would say the thing that I did get out of that whole experience is there was just some amazing artists that work there. And so um, I learned a lot. My drawing skills really improved working in, under those kind of conditions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because the cartoony factor was left out of the 2D part of sure. it. Yeah. Oh, and that was basically um, uh, the Prince of Egypt and Road to El Dorado. And yeah, and Road to El Dorado, I was a supervisor on that one, Seko Khan. Um, but the story, again, they had a lot of trouble with story over at DreamWorks. Um, it was no it was no different than at Disney. I yeah, mean, yeah, you well, would was, go through was, sets of directors. You would uh, go through many different versions of the script. So yeah, very much the same. <clears throat> El Dorado had a lot of problems. And so that was kind of, um, you know, a difficult film to get through because of that. Yeah. Story changing all the time. Um, Which is really sort of the, um, you know, the, the process at the beginning of doing an animated film. It seems like any of the animated films that we've been involved with that always had some kind of story issues early on. Yeah. Uh, and it took a bit to iron those things out. And even, even went into production while they had story issues and, you know, like what happened on Pocahontas and, you know, you, you get sort of sitting in your office twiddling your thumbs waiting for them to work out those problems so the work can start flowing through the pipeline. 
Right. Um, yeah, there were very few films that I worked on there that um, kind of went smoothly. Over the Hedge was my favorite film I worked on the whole time really? I was there. I mean, it's a it's a fun film, but the directors were great. This crew was well. It's basically the same crew, but felt like there just was this. I don't know lighter atmosphere during that film. I got to do a lot of great animation on that one in particular. Um, so I, that was probably my be- favorite 3d film that I worked on the whole time I was there. Well, was it because it was coming off the success of the success of Madagascar? Um, could be, could be, you know, that they, they, I think, you know, felt like they were sort of starting to hit a stride maybe. I yeah. It could be. And, uh, yeah, Madagascar, I remember uh, I got to work on that doing 2D drawings, which was kind of fun because early on, I think that was the first that was so extreme in terms of their character's design because Shrek was more still kind of like kind of realistic yeah, right. characters. So they actually had me working um, on the film for about two or three months. I was doing, taking uh, the so I didn't design the characters, but what I did was take the character design and I did tons of poses and, and uh, character moments between poses and to give. And also I did a lot of work um, drawing what all the mouth shapes would look like and extreme mouth shapes because they were worried, like, how is this going to translate to computer animation? Because sure. we need our modelers and our riggers to be able to do more extreme movements than uh, an uh, than Shrek. So I was brought on to do a lot of that. And, um, and I got to go up to PDI and talk with the modelers and we discuss a lot of, uh, you know, what they could do to, you know, make it more animatable, I guess. Sure. sure. And, um, why did you leave DreamWorks? Cause I was let go. Really? Oh, I, I didn't know I that. Okay. At the end of 17 years, they were letting a lot of people go at that time. Um, was that was that towards the, the the was that like right in the midst of when they were trying to sell DreamWorks? And- um, it was when they were having a lot of trouble. So I think it was the crash of the market. Yeah. Okay. So it was around two thousand seven, kind of started the struggles that yeah. they were having, and then they had films that weren't doing well. Uh, yeah, the financial meltdown happened. Yeah, so it was, yeah. and I didn't leave right when that happened, but sure. that was just kind of like the first wave, and then and there were, you know, other waves that happened, and uh, but yeah, you know, in my particular group, there I think there were like hundreds of artists that were let go, and so I was one of those that was let go. Um, but yeah, I had been there 17 years, so it was Wow. Yeah, it was so it's okay because it was kind of time for me to go. I yeah, yeah I, think, I, think kind, I, I, I think you kind of know when it's yeah. time, you know. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. And I kind of was chicken shit not leaving earlier. I kind of regret that that I didn't leave earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, it's when you get kind of comfortable and money a paycheck's coming every week, you kind of get more comfortable with that kind of situation. So it's good that I, in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because just creatively, I feel much better 
than I was at DreamWorks during those final years. Yeah. And then you came back to Disney, you did some work on Frozen. Yeah. So Disney was just a brief contract. I only had a six month contract with them. Sure. And um, so, yeah, it just was kind of like helping out with whatever needed to be helped out with. So, yeah, um, yeah it was pretty lucky to have worked on that film. I mean, it was such a big success. I mean, pretty yeah. neat. Um, I didn't really do anything too noteworthy on that film, but it was neat to be part of that. And uh, so, yeah, I was only there for six months. And now you're working on The Simpsons. Is Correct. that right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but actually in between, you know, Disney and The Simpsons, I actually worked in live action. Oh, okay. I worked and on The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl. Great show. Oh, so some, some of the DC, some of the I DC did. characters. I did. Yeah. That was quite an experience. Now, now you, so those are live action shows, but they're using CG animation uh, uh, mixed in with it, right? When the yeah. characters are doing something crazy, right? Yeah. So I worked at a company called Encore uh -huh. and I worked there for about two, two years. So two seasons worth. Um, how was, how was that going into TV? I mean, that's a different that world, was isn't it? Such a mind blowing experience because it was so different and having to um, deal with, you know, it's like as an animator, you're used to getting a scene length. And so you would have to put animation before the scene was going to actually start and animation after, but so they could have wiggle room. So that was always frustrating. Like, why do I have to animate this stuff before? You know, <laughs> but they needed the wiggle room in the editing. Sure. Um, so, and then TV is Oh my God, it just wouldn't make sense a lot of times. Like the business that you had to do as an animator between what the actor would do, like let's say um, a character, I want don't want to say specifically who, but like a character flying down, landing, right. right? The actor would have the arms in the wrong position. You know, it's or wouldn't land right because they're not really landing. They're on a rope being lowered. Right. You know, yeah. so you would get that and go, God, this is totally wrong. And you would have to match CG going into live action reference that just didn't make sense. Or there were cuts where there, there's not enough time to do this action. Well, you got to do it. Okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a crash happening. The character is supposed to get from A to B in a certain, oh my God, there were so many things that I was like, wow. But I did have other great moments too, though. Um, Gorilla Grodd was really awesome i got to do a lot of acting moments with him that's awesome in the flash television it, show it was great it was you very like seamless oh yeah oh, i yeah. watched all i watched all that stuff too you know we talk about marvel a lot on our podcast but uh i do watch the dc stuff so now, awesome work but, uh, al john the flash was um that was a dc show that was on netflix wasn't it for a while oh, it's on yeah it still it still does netflix um legends of tomorrow same thing in supergirl but uh you know the one thing about um you know uh grad that you did which was was great is the fact that there's a lot of humanity in that character which was you know because we remember we remember that from the um the super friends versus uh the super friends uh tv show because you, I, I watched uh, a lot of that stuff, and the villain was great. You know, how do you bring this, you know, Silverback to life in in this way? And and you did a great, fine job. Yeah, a lot yeah. Of fun. So, you know, and the the thing that's crazy, of course, going into television after being at years with features, 
and realizing you have to animate with a rig that's not ready to be animated. So they'd say, uh, don't animate the arms just yet. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you have a week to animate these scenes and the rig is not ready. And then you'd have things breaking and then you'd have to, you know, redo some stuff, you know, once, okay, we got the rig working or, you know, and every, I love the team that I worked with, uh, you know, the other animators and the riggers and the effects guys, all such great people had so much fun over there. And uh, I learned a lot and it was really neat to just be part of a live action end of the business. And that was your first time, really, wasn't it? Uh, being yeah, part of yeah, it was a, a, a live action. How to you know match move you know the CG model on top sure. of you know the live. So yeah, it it was it was a crazy experience. But and then also, I am not a terribly technical person. So going from features where they have a whole you know army of technicians to help you if you have a problem to hey just figure it out. <laughs> it's like, right. this is broken or wait, how do I, do? I'm doing jobs that I don't normally do. And, right. and then I started off in a force uh, in um, 3d studio max, which I had never worked in. I was right. a fire person. Sure. So I had that ramping up to do and you know, so it, it really used more brain power than I had in years. To work on it. <laughs> I think my head grew a little bit bigger, you know, was, uh, connecting the synapses a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah. So then. So you did all that before you went to uh, work on the Simpsons and how, how's, how's it been working on the Simpsons? Simpsons. I've had so much fun, so much fun. I never thought I would do hand-drawn animation again. And, and how, how, do you, how did you like that? I mean, obviously you were doing a lot of CG films at uh, DreamWorks. You were doing the CG yeah. work on uh, The Flash and those kinds of things. But right. now you're back to doing 2D. Was that sort of like uh, riding a bike? You just got right back into it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It totally was. I mean, you know, it was a little bit different because now I'm not drawing a paper, but... Yeah, you're drawing on a Cintiq, right? On a Cintiq. But, but you're still doing, quote, 2D drawings, yeah, but it's on correct. a Cintiq. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, because I it would had been 15 years since I had done hand-drawn animation. And, um, you know, Simpsons, they have a very specific style. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, that is the hurdle to get over because they're very particular and they've um, developed even – you could look at some model sheets and know, oh, there's already improvements from, you know, what you see the how to draw Simpsons book. And yeah. uh, they, they've gone through a great deal of that, but, um, and there are, you know, certain rules that you can't do that you would do in uh, feature animation. Characters look only good from a three quarter angle. So right. it's sometimes challenging that you, got to avoid that front view, you know, when you're moving characters. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of rules, but uh, the show is so funny. I mean, I Are just laugh. <clears throat> I mean, it, I mean, the writing is so brilliant on it. And the fact that what is it? Are they in season 31? 32. I'm working on 32. 32, 32 and now. And it's season 28. So wow. Like four years now. Holy mackerel. Yeah, one of the longest yeah. running uh, shows in television history for primetime, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so it was kind of neat to have been there 
when they made their, you know, uh, longest show, you know, running show in history. Yeah, it was like 500 so, episodes, something like that. Oh, no, no, no. It's no, it's more than that. 700 or 700 so. episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot. There, there, there's a book. I, I actually have a big, thick book that was done on, uh, that, that showcases the 500 episodes. Right. That, that was, the, you know, sort of the milestone, you know, item that they put out. Uh, but uh, holy mackerel, they're, they're blue, blue past that. And, yeah. And the 700s now. Um, do you do animation on the show? Are you posing it? I, I know a lot of these shows are done overseas. I don't know if Rough Draft is still involved with The Simpsons uh, as an overseas studio, is it? Uh, so basically the process of, kind of what I do is, um, and everybody's different, all the, so I'm called a layout cleanup or character layout artist, Mm -hmm. not even called an animator, but that's what I'm doing is I'm doing kind of extremes and breakdowns. Um, some people do less, I do more. Uh, but so basically I do all main posing and breakdowns to, you know, make it make sense. I do not do mouth shape dialogue, which that's only, that, that is the one thing that I do miss because I always enjoy doing the facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So I can do some facial expressions with the eyes, but the mouths I'm supposed to leave off. I, I mean, I draw just a shape. I'm not sure. allowed to do that. that that's another person's job. Um, so I do miss that part of it because that's when you're animating that's the feel you're giving the character. So a lot of times I draw it in and then I have to erase it and then put just there's block in mouth because <laughs> I have to feel it as I'm animating it. Yeah. Um, but I've gotten such great fun scenes to do and, you know, I do the best I can. I don't have, um, you know, a lot of expectations because of the process it has to go through after I'm done with my job, but I have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. Well, and, you know, I, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think that I think the show has gotten so much more refined because if you look at those early couple of seasons after the you know, right after the Tracy Ullman show, uh, where it became a uh, its own half hour show. Right. Um, I mean, you look at those early episodes and where it is now, it's so much more refined. Oh, they do such challenging episodes. For a television show they go beyond I think they're the only studio really around that that really um cares about putting more into it than because I guess a lot of other studios uh or shows that are similar you know um where they are seen um their character layout artists do what they typically used to do just a couple poses and send it to Korea and then they do the animation there but we don't do that we do a lot more Right. Than the other shows. Sure. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out. If you don't do enough, you, right. what you get back is not that great. But you get the talking heads. Yeah. And that pose. Because, you know, over there, they're, I'm sure, under the, the gun to yeah. you know, do a lot of work in an amazing amount of time. But yeah, so it's an interesting process where I animate digitally, they send the file over to Korea. They actually print out the digital work that I do onto paper, mm-hmm. and then they uh, redraw the keys, and they um, um, uh, uh, in between it all on paper, 
and then scan it back into the computer and um, and then paint it in there and then send it back. So yeah, um, yeah. it's all so, digital ink and paint now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, which makes it a lot easier for for them to do corrections and adjustments uh, back right. here yes, in, in the states. And, yeah. yeah, send it back. And, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, so like right now, what, what's the future for you? What, you're going to continue working on the Simpsons. Um, well, I, um, do occasionally, uh, let me see. Well, I mean, I've been in the business for 40 years, so I assume within a few years I might retire, but I say retire, but it'll probably be retire, uh, enough so I can go biking a lot <laughs> so I play a lot, and then pick up jobs here and there. Um, I mean, again, you know, it's like recently I worked, got a chance to work on umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. too. I um, had a little animated sequence I did in that. Uh -huh. film, and um, it was a character called Mr. Briefcase. So um, it was pretty neat to do that. Um, that, um, that piece of animation and it was supposed to look like 1950s yeah uh animation you know uh, so is that we'll upa go, go to the lobby um, that U, U, upa kind of upa uh, kind of stuff yeah. so that was a neat project because i did the animation i trained my two daughters to do cleanup <laughs> and then my husband did all the compositing and any effects that need to be done so we were a family unit that's fantastic. An animated thing. So, yeah, so that was great to be part of a big show, the Umbrella Academy. And um, and then I worked on with Brenda Chapman on Come Away. Oh. show that she just had um, was released uh, streaming because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. That was sure. released, um, later last year. So I got to do some 2D animation for that of um, these uh, characters that are etched into a tabletop. Wow. So that was pretty neat. So occasionally I do work on little projects like that. So that's, that's awesome. Cool. It gives yeah. you a little bit of variety. Yeah. So yeah, the future for me is, you know, for right now, I'm just working on the Simpsons, but, um, you're you know, continuing to work. You enjoy continuing it. Continuing to work and, you know, working on different projects. I, I do a lot of my own projects so I'm hoping in the future, I want to do more of my own projects, of course, and art and seeing the world cycling and all that. Kind of, yeah. Let me ask you one, one last question here. What advice would you give to a young woman who wants to get into the business? Um, well, I would say talent is the thing you got to work the hardest at mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, there are a lot more opportunities for women, but what it really comes down to is your work. If you are the best, you're going to be picked up. You're going to be wanted. People will want to work with you. Have a good work ethic. Um, um, I suppose uh, networking is a very, very important thing of it. Sure. And I mean, I know there's, you know, the stigma of like there's an all boys club. I think that's changing a lot. Um, and, uh, I, I never personally felt that I was discriminated in that way. So I feel very lucky, especially given, you know, um, my working in earlier 40, 40 years of the business. But so I think there's more opportunities for women. So the thing is, is that just think of 
being the best you can and, um, you know, and, and of course networking is important. So that's what I would And, and, you know, at, at the end of the day in animation, it really is all about talent. It is. You know, and I, 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 I like to believe that, you know, today, um, that's what people are only looking at. They want the talent and they don't care where that's coming from, you know, whereas maybe 40 or 50 years ago, there might've been that sort of, you know, boys club kind of atmosphere, uh, where, where, you know, uh, when a woman was injected into that, uh, there was a sense of, uh, tone it down or you got to be careful what you say or those kinds of things. Right. I mean, yes. to, to some degree, but, but, but the, the, the business has really evolved over the last 40 years. Sure. I mean, even at the Simpsons, we've got a couple female directors now, right. Um, which they only had, I believe only ever had male directors in the 32 years until, um, Till recently, yeah. Recently, yeah. So we, that, we, which is great. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. So I think there are a lot more opportunities for women, and yeah, you just got to be the best artist you can. You present yourself well. You're a team player, and um, working hard is the key. You got to be a really talented person to make it. You know. Yeah. Well, Kathy. Thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate you coming on to the Skull Rock podcast. Oh, yeah. I had a great uh, time. It really was fantastic talking with you. It's been a while. And uh, I know right before the show we were talking, I think, Kathy, you and I, the last time we were actually face-to-face was on a panel down at Comic-Con like three years ago, I think it was. So so it's wonderful to see you haven't changed a bit. (laughs) Neither have you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I tell people about the story. Uh, You were Pooh Bear long time ago, right? Oh, you know, we we should tell that story. So, so at the end of Great Mouse Detective, uh, Disney had a, had a program called Disney Way One. And, uh, and they would put um, uh, generally like mid to higher level employees into this program. And you would do a three day tour of the entire company. So you would you would get presentations by people from the studio, from corporate. You'd go over to Imagineers, you know, to Imagineering, and they would do presentations and show you this. And the and the final day was a behind the scenes at Disneyland in Anaheim. And part of that was they actually put you in a costume, a character costume, and put you into the park with, you know, with an attendant, of course. <laughs> but, uh, a wrangler, but, a wrangler. But, right. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, uh, because the next project wasn't quite ready, at the end of Great Mouse Detective, we were all sitting around. We had nothing to do. And so they, this was the first time they put a group of people together uh, from from the animation department, and and I would say the last time they ever did yes. that, uh, yeah. because we're a argumentative, we're, 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 we're artistic we're, decisions for <laughs> public 
publicity and you know we we were grilling the executives during when they were giving us presentations uh yeah. but but each one of us um uh was sort of you know uh we we gave our our height uh you know to to somebody and by the time we got down to Disneyland we were already pre-assigned costumes and I I got to be Pooh Bear with the honey pot on his head yeah. uh and, and I remember I think Phil Niblink was with us uh, and he was, uh, 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 yeah, he was, he was the tall, um, the, the tall wolf character or bear character from, oh, oh, he was oh, rare bear. Maybe rare bear. Yeah. I think he might've been rare bear. Uh, and, uh, but I think Dave Proxima was on that. Wasn't he Ron Rocha for sure. You, uh, um, there was a group of us. There was a uh, photo. I, 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 I got to be Pluto. You were Pluto. <laughs> That's Pluto. right. Yeah. yeah. And I remember it was 85 degrees out. And when we first yeah. put on those costumes, I thought, oh my God, we're not going to last five <laughs> minutes in those yeah. costumes. Yeah. We, we had to put on gym shorts and t-shirts. Remember yeah. that? And, and then get into the costumes. And there's a great photo of us uh, with and without the, the heads on. Yeah. Uh, that that has floated yeah. around out there. It pops up occasionally on social media, uh, but yeah, we we had a lot of fun with that. That, that was a really good time. And, and you know, by the way, being Pooh Bear or Pluto, those are the great characters because you know, I I, I you know as Pooh Bear, I had all the women coming around to have their pictures taken with well, Pooh Bear. <laughs> I have a memory, and I don't know if I remember it correctly, but was there a sailor and he had his girlfriend take a picture with you. And then the sailor said something to you like, Oh, I bet it's hot in there. And then you spoke to him. Oh, I think I'm, I might've said something. Wrangler with... said, uh, Pooh Bear, we don't talk or something. Yes. <laughs> I don't something like that. And, uh, yeah. and you and, have and by... thick New York, you're from New York, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Pooh Bear. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But you know, that, that, that particular poo costume, because it had the honeypot on his head, um, there was a, uh, a rope inside the head that I could tug on and it made the ears wiggle. Oh. Right. Oh, and the awesome. arms on the uh, the arms on the costume were just like stuffed arms, and if you turn too quickly, they kind of lifted up. And uh, <laughs> and I and I remember knocking a couple of children over oh. when I turned. <laughs> That's okay because they loved you. I know, no, it, it, it was actually kind of funny, but Bruce by. Pooh Bear, I'll never wash the side of you. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know the the Brer Fox and Brer Bear or whatever those characters were, uh, there were kids coming up. They would run up and kick them in the leg. I yeah, remember a couple of them. Nobody wanted like, nobody wanted to be with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I story ever. I remember going out yeah. there and then just like hordes of children going Pluto yeah. <laughs> and running toward me. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm yeah. so loved. Look at yeah. this. It's just awesome. like kids all hugging my legs. And, oh and my gosh. What a, what a great memory. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. One of our top fans, Spencer, always there in a clutch asking the question uh, while working. 
on The Great Mouse Detective. Did you ever get to meet or work with Vincent Price? Can you please discuss what inspired the design of Fidget? No, unfortunately, I did not get because, um, you know, Vincent Price was Radigan's uh, voice. So I did not get a chance. I didn't even see him. I wish I had. Um, and, um, and I did not do the design of Fidget. I just animated him. So uh, gotcha. that was another person. Oh uh, yeah. He's, he's just a, such a fan like many of us are. So that's, that's great. It's a great question. Yeah, I don't know who, I wish I knew who had designed Fidget, but I just took his design. You know, I probably modified it a little bit for animation, but, nice. but did not do the original design. Uh, one of our friends, uh, Dag, big fan of The Simpsons. Do you have a particular favorite Simpsons character? Oh. If you had to choose. Um, well, I guess I just like Homer. <laughs> Homer. Um, I mean, but I like so many of the characters. Um, I get a lot of uh, odd characters, new characters to animate, too, that are kind of fun. I like Luigi. Mm. Luigi, the Italian guy. Yeah. He's kind of fun with his accent. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, those are, <laughs> those are great. I mean, you know, we had to, we had to ask. So thank you so much for yeah. taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Kathy. All right. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Skull Rock Podcast, your weekly dose of pixie dust. What a great interview. That was a lot of fun. She is my new superhero. Oh my gosh. It, it really, I, you know, she, she is so terrific and what a talent. And it was just a joy having her on our show, Al John. And I, you know, like I said, at the end of the interview, it's, it, I think it's been about two or three years since the two of us were face to face chatting uh, down at Comic-Con uh, for an event, but uh, boy, uh, it, it was really terrific having her on. I love the stories. First of all, it's always great, A, that you have your friends here on the show, but it's great that you had that special story, not only about her giving birth at the studio practically, but uh, especially finishing up the uh, Jafar and Aladdin. I can't believe that. That's just an amazing feat. But yet to share the story about you as, as Winnie the Pooh and her as Pluto and actually seeing the photo on her website, uh, kathyzelinski.com. Wow, that was uh, that was unexpected and so much fun to see you and your '90s goatee. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's true. No, I, I, and that was '80s. And, and, oh, 80s and by the goatee. way, okay, that's if right. If you look closely at it, it was really a beard, not a goatee. Okay, it was a beard. You're it, right. It's just it, it's so thin uh, <laughs> that it kind of looks like a goatee. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Let me ask you this now, because now you've opened up this can of honey. I'm not going to say can of worms, but this pot of honey. Um, what's it like being in the costume? Because that that I mean that costume something else. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a bit claustrophobic. Um, I was lucky because of, uh, of the fact that um, Winnie the Pooh's, you know, the costume of Winnie the Pooh, his head is so big. So I actually had room in there. But believe it or not, I'm actually looking through the lettering of honey on the pot that's on Pooh's head. Is so that can, right? You, yeah, so you can imagine sort of what, uh, you know, uh, how my body fits into that costume. So, oh so, my. Pooh's, 
you know, Pooh's head, the top of his head's kind of coming off of my shoulders, if you will. That's you know? hilarious. And, uh, but, you know, look, I think it was a great experience, uh, especially, you know, for, for the group of us that did that. Uh, we were all fairly young. You know, we were in our 20s. And um, it gives you a different perspective on the joy that these characters bring to the guests that go to the parks. I love that. And it really really does. does. (laughs) It it gives you a very, very different perspective. And, and, and it's, there's sort of a reverence to it, you know, I think. Um, It's a joy. And my hat goes out to all of these people that do this for a living down at the parks, because during the summer months, you know, they can only go out for a certain amount of time uh, into the park because it, it does get sweltering inside those uh, costumes. You said you did this during the summertime, too, you yeah, guys? Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. Yeah, it, it I was it, I, I as I recall, it was a it was a very hot summer day that mm. we did that. Uh, oh. And and we had to put on gym shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, before we got into the costume uh, and uh, and by the time we got out of the costume, I mean, we're all dr- drenched, drenched. Of in course, sweat. of course you were. Yeah. I'm looking at this photo now, guys. And if you guys look at this and we'll put this link um, in the show notes, but you'll be able to see everyone looking like they're about ready to perform surgery because they're all wearing their little uh, blue caps. Like they're in an episode of, uh, of, of uh, ER scrubs. Or, or, scrubs <laughs> scrubs. or scrubs or Grace Anatomy or whatever, you know, insert your medical drama here or your medical comedy. But uh, now this, that was a great memory. And once again, I think uh, Kathy, like I said, just an amazing talent and what, what great stories you guys told amazing stuff amazing absolutely it was enjoyable having her on the show and and next week by the way uh al john uh we've got uh disney legend floyd norman joining us wow i mean you talk about great great artists and animators being on the show and i remember meeting floyd backstage at a d23 event couldn't have been nicer um and i'm looking forward to having him on the show disney legends so am I. I think it's going to be a fantastic show, and uh, that's it. I mean, what a what a great show it was again this week. I'm having so much fun doing the show with you, Al John. I can't. I, I, I mean, what more can I say? I mean, we're having we're just having a ball. Now I'm I'm loving it, and being a fly on the wall and, and listening um, to these great stories. This is exactly what you know we wanted for this show. Is just a peek behind the curtain of some of these amazing talents that bring you the movies and the media that we've all grown up and, and just love watching and enjoying still uh, for generations. And, and of course the kiddos love it too. So they're going to listen back and, and look at this and go, wow, you know, uh, Dave and Al John talked to some really cool folks and, and we just want to keep that love alive. So uh, anyway, if you love the show, uh, please subscribe to the show. As Dave mentioned at the top, uh, listen to it and subscribe to it on your favorite platform podcast. You can also follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, check out the show archive there on skullrockpodcast.com. And you can email us as well, Dave or Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. Dave, uh, looking forward to the weeks to come. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun, Aljon, and I can't believe we're already into February. 
Uh, the month of January came and went so quickly, uh, and uh, hopefully the vaccine uh, rollout will be straightened out and uh, sped up, uh, and we might actually have a great summer. Looking forward to it, Dave. But, uh, you know, keep hope alive. Keep on sharing your, your love for uh, all the geeky things that you love and listen to this show. And hopefully, uh, once again, you'll just, uh, you know, come back and listen to us every week and get a little bit of this respite, kick back and relax and enjoy Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com <laughs> 